You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to this week's edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast as we get you ready for a short week in the Seahawks matchup against a division opponent in the Arizona Cardinals. Hello, everyone. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seattle Seahawks, joined by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, Jen. How are you? I am well, and I think staying on top of things on this short week, which I know we talk about how it impacts the players. How about how it impacts us in game prep? Well, I don't think we should really worry too much about us, you know. It's it's we, we not get, as physically demanding, no, but my we're, little we're, brain sometimes well, gets overworked, yeah. you know? We'll, we'll be okay though. I well, just I just choose to think about after the fact when we get a weekend off. Well, that is nice. Being able to sit and yell at the TV on Sundays like everybody else does. Or yell at a two year old. But, you know, well, I'm going to choose to yell at a television set. And I think that there were a lot of people doing that on Sunday in a game against Washington. Yeah. Anytime you lose, it's tough. But that was particularly frustrating because it really felt like the Seahawks were beating themselves, which for a fan watching at home, it's one thing. Look, if Deshaun Watson's picking you apart, you kind of tip your hat and say, man, that guy played well. But when you're committing 16 penalties, you're turning the ball over, you're dropping interceptions, you're missing field goals. I could go on and on. There's just so many things of that game that if you just clean it up a little bit, you probably win. If you clean all of it up, you probably win by a lot. So it's, you know, give Washington credit. They made some big, big plays late in the game, but it's it's a tough one for the Seahawks because of how that transpired. Well, and when you talk about yelling at your two-year-old, in some ways, this <laughs> is like a parent I know, can who we says, I I like, know. I, I'm not a yeller. Not, I not just, just, you know. They just test your patience sometimes. Well, and there's probably a lot of no that gets set on yes. both sides. Yes. No, don't do yeah. that. Yeah. No, no, you shouldn't be doing Don't shove that in your baby sister's oh. mouth, you know. Well, yeah. 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 She Those mean, are things you have She means to. well. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what, though? I'm sure Pete Carroll has said no a few times to this group and said, no, you shouldn't be committing these penalties. No, this is not the type of game that we want to play. And I can't help but think that it is a little bit like a parent who says it's going to come back to bite you. I'm telling you, you need to, you know, you need to clean this up. And I kind of got the feeling and I'm not saying that the guys in the locker room ever thought that penalties were acceptable. I kind of got the feeling, though, that that message was heard loud and clear on Sunday. For sure. And look, Pete Carroll's never going to want penalties, but he's willing to live with some because when you ask your team to be as aggressive and play right to the edge like they do, some stuff is inevitable. You live with Michael Bennett jumping off sides on occasion because that same mentality allows him to occasionally jump the snap just perfectly, end up in the backfield, tackle a running back for five-yard loss, and we're all cheering. So it's, you know, you live with some of it. They were the most penalized team in the NFL from 2013 through 2014, and they went to the Super Bowl back-to-back years. So Mm -hmm. committing penalties by itself does not make you a bad team, but there's a difference between the ones you can live with and the ones that cripple you. And we saw the extreme of that last week where it was, just, it was too much to overcome when you're constantly, you know, first and 20 because of a hold or second and 15 because someone jumped off sides. It's just you, you make too many of those penalties. And Pete Carroll even said after the game, it kind of felt like it was going to catch up to him eventually, and that was the game it did. So maybe that is sort of a wake-up call to the players that they've been hearing it from coaches over and over. Tom Cable, 
Pete Carroll, Daryl Bevel, they've been getting on those guys, but maybe now it kind of is a little wake-up call that, okay, that those mistakes very well cost us a game. Many times when you ask a player after the game – when it comes to penalties or mental mistakes, they don't feel like they need to go back and address it during the course of the week because it's an obvious thing that needs to get better and that can't happen again. More than one player that I talked to after the game said, oh, no, this is going to be addressed. Bobby Wagner said this week that it is going to be addressed and it comes down to doing what you are supposed to do. I think personally the penalty situation is more, you know, guys need to take more accountability, um, you know, be a little bit more focused. Um, I think that's kind of how you address it. I think the guys know, um, you know, how to do it. And, you know, we've done it before. So that's that's really all it is. I think, um, you know, we just got to lock in. And, and, you know, that's another little part in the game that, you know, we need to clean up if we want to get where we want to go. While we're on the subject of Bobby Wagner, he was clearly just heads and shoulders. Head and shoulders? Head and shoulders. shoulders. I almost said heads and tails. That's not where I was going. Head and shoulders above everybody else on the field defensively on Sunday. He had a phenomenal game. Yeah, I mean, he could have quit at halftime, and that would have been a phenomenal game. Not that he (laughs) should have or would have, but I mean, he played so well. And I was joking with him in the locker room this week that, you know, he's got a lobby to get Wednesday and Thursday off more often because he only practiced Friday. His, His status was somewhat in doubt going into that game, and then he goes out. He has 12 tackles. The sack for a safety, the pass defense, they ended up scoring the play later, but he had that stuff at the goal line, which that can be a huge play, obviously. Just, you know, I think he had two or three tackles for loss. I mean, he's, he's, he definitely should be and hopefully will be in the running for defensive player of the year. I mean, he's been that caliber of a player for a while. And, you know, he had 167 tackles last year, a team record. And, you know, he's not quite on that pace of tackles, although he turned it on late last year. So we'll see how that ends up. But even if he doesn't reach that number, he might be playing better overall. I mean, he's just having a phenomenal year. I would agree. And he pointed out that the sack that he had on Sunday for the safety, first time he's ever had a safety in his career, and that the thing that he worked on most in the offseason was route recognition so that he could get better depth on his drop so that he would be more aware. And I think that you are, uh, you're seeing that pay off. The area that he still wants to get better in is making some of those quarterback hits turn into sacks because he, I mean, he's got the force and he has been there, but actually bringing the quarterback down, I think that he should certainly be in that conversation. What would keep him? from being there. I think it's sacks. I mean, ultimately that's what tends to you look at you go back and look at the list of guys who've won that award and most of them in recent years have been the pass rushers who have, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 sacks. That's just kind of the most and for good reason. Those are some of the most important game-changing plays. There's a reason defensive ends, those pass rushers get the big money, but you know, there's certainly precedent for middle linebackers winning it recently. Luke Keekley did in 2013, I believe. Um, you know, it, to me, some of it's just always you kind of get the reputation and then after a while that helps you. And I think he's to that point now. He's a two-time first-team All-Pro where people, more and more people who vote on that award will recognize him. Um, I, I think he's, you know, depending on how the season goes for him and the CX defense, I think he's a very legit candidate. Getting a few more sacks and then the turnovers obviously help. If he, you know, if he can get a couple more interceptions, something like that, you know, more, you know, he's already had a fumble return for a touchdown. Just those flashy plays, those tend to get people's attention. But just the consistent week in, week out play, I can't imagine there's anybody playing better than him. Yeah, I think in some some ways you get penalized for being too consistent. 
you know, you can't fly under the radar and be at the top of that list. And I think it's kind of counterintuitive as it seems being on this good of a defense can hurt him too. Because Absolutely. We always talk about with like, you know, whether it's baseball MVP or whatever these big awards where if you have two candidates, it kind of hurts you. It's like you can look at it and say, okay, well, as good as Bobby Wagner is, like is Earl Thomas even better? Is Richard Sherman? You just have so many important players that, you know, it, sometimes J.J. Uh, Watt standing out on a – not great, but okay. Houston defense a couple of years. They're a better defense now, but when he won that award a couple of times, they actually weren't that good of a defensive team, but he was such a monster. It was so obvious. So, yeah, it, sometimes almost being one really, really good player on a team full of them makes it harder to stand out. Yeah, you mentioned Earl Thomas as being one of those guys. He missed the game against Washington. That was one of the storylines going in. Let's revisit that one. Bradley McDougal got the start, and you know what? I didn't. I don't, I don't want to say we can live without Earl Thomas. I'm pretty comfortable with the way he played and, and the way the safeties looked. He did. And, now, I mean, we go back to March when they signed Bradley McDougal. You, you know, you don't think of a safety signing being a big move for a team that has Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas, but they were really excited about getting him. And part of it is, you know, they knew he'd help on special teams. They knew he'd be, you know, for these sub packages they've done with three safeties. But a big reason was – they knew that, look, there might be a time this year we're missing one of our two safeties, and if we are, now we can plug in a guy who's not just been a starter but played really well the last two seasons in Tampa Bay instead of somebody who, you know, in the case of last year's backup, Stephen Terrell, had never been a starter. So you you get that guy in there, and look, we can't just say he's going to be Earl Thomas because Earl Thomas is one of the best defensive players in the NFL, you know, arguably the best or one of the best safeties of his era. So it's not that there won't be any drop-off, but you feel a lot more comfortable having him back there. Yeah, somebody with some experience and with some legs, and I think that the Seahawks would feel very comfortable if Earl were to miss this week's game again on a short week, give him a little bit more rest before that Monday night matchup against Atlanta. Since we're going to stick with that silver lining kind of theme, because that's the way I like to picture myself as a silver Gla- lining kind of gal. Here. Yeah, well, it's way better than talking about the alternative right now, and I think everybody has talked about the penalties to the point where we get it. How about talking about the offense and the effort from Doug Baldwin? Because he's another one of those guys that's flown under the radar just a little bit in the last couple of games, but he is on pace to do what he's been doing the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he had another 100-yard game, another touchdown, and all of a sudden he's on pace. Last year he tied the franchise record for receptions with 94. Now he's on pace to eclipse that, and he's also on pace for another 1,000-yard season, which if he does would be three in a row. You know who else has done that in franchise history? One guy, Steve Largent. So that's I believe he's in the Hall of Fame for I, that, I think actually. So. And he did that, it more than that. that. <laughs> to, to be fair, Doug's got a long way to go because Steve Largent did it four times, then he did it four times again. So, you know, I'm not saying he's All quite right, to that level. Let's not get ahead of but, ourselves and let's not point, minimize My this. point is, no one else has ever had three straight thousand yard seasons. That's hard to do, just the combination of the consistent play, the health. You know, a lot goes into that. And he, he is, I mean, He's become such an important piece of this offense, and I think it almost can get taken for granted because he's just been around so long and just been so solid for so long. And the health is so impressive given what he does on the field. I mean, he's working out of the slot. He has taken huge hits. He reminds me, I've said this before, a lot of Bobby Ingram. You know, Bobby Ingram's numbers were never going to be the flashiest, especially when he played alongside D-Jack and a few other guys that would just fly down the field. But, man, anytime the quarterback was in trouble, 
trouble, Bobby was there. Bobby was there to get the tough yards on third down. It's exactly what we're seeing from Doug Baldwin. And I am so amazed that he still has moves that are fooling defenders. And that's not a knock on Doug. You're right. He has played a really long time. He's been on the field a lot. He still has sudden moves and quickness that fools anybody lining up across. Yeah, and him. I talked to talked to him about this a week or so ago. And some of it's not necessarily like the the number of moves, but it's just he he can go to that. You know, he, he compares almost like a crossover dribble where he just kind of gives a hesitation and he. He has the freedom to – he kind of starts his move, and then he sees which way the defender's leaning, and then he can just explode. It's a combination of kind of savvy and knowing his defenders. He can set them up. But then just he is so explosive in short space. We saw – I mean, that touchdown, he made Josh Norman look foolish. Norman was trying to get a jam in on him. He leaned in. Doug just blew by him, and all of a sudden he's, you know, eight yards past him like it was nothing, and he's wide open for a touchdown. So, yeah, it's uh, – I would encourage fans some sometimes to spend a few minutes of a game – don't watch the line of scrimmage, don't watch Carl Just watch him work because yeah. he is so impressive at his craft. And, and I'm not sure. He's always been a great route runner, and he has always been very shifty. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he embraced that as much early in his career as he does now. I no. still think he wanted just the deep go route early in his yeah. career. And I think also there's some, you know, as you build up your reputation and your trust with the – quarterback and the coaches you can you can kind of I don't want to say ad lib but you get a little more flexibility to do different things within the route and at the line of scrimmage and kind of show off that stuff so it's uh he's a really fun player to watch though he is really fun he's really fun to talk to after a game's much more fun after they win you mentioned the report and the relationship that he's got with the quarterback I've got a question for you what's the read because we heard Pete talk about it I know that you listened to Russ talk about it after the game just kind of the timing and maybe um, it didn't. It just didn't look like he was on with any of his receivers. We've seen it kind of be hit or miss in certain games this year. What are you reading into that? Yeah, that, it, it was interesting to me to see because Russell Wilson was coming off, you know, really one of the better performances we've ever seen out of him. Well, a historic Houston. one yeah, based mean, on franchise. Yeah, franchise record, records. yardage, four touchdowns, that game-winning drive. And he just looked a little out of sorts. And Pete Carroll mentioned a couple times he was feeling the pressure from the right side. You know, give Ryan Kerrigan credit. He's a great pass rusher. And he was getting to him a little bit. And maybe there, you know, it's, we, that was a really good illustration of kind of the, the give and take with Russell Wilson of there were times he probably got out sooner than he needed to and it might have cost him some plays. But he also rushed for 77 yards on 11 carries, which was a big part of their offense. It was kind of like, yeah, you want him to stay in the pocket sometimes and wait for things to develop and find guys, but do you want to give up those big runs either? So it's it definitely, you know, it, he's not – Russell Wilson wouldn't argue that that was his best game. He threw two interceptions. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily that in rhythm the whole game. But the the remarkable thing about him, even in a game like that where he's struggling, he goes out and, you know, puts up two touchdowns and 140-some yards, I think it was, in the fourth quarter. He just – he has a knack for turning it on late. And I, I really thought he was going to do it again even with a minute left just based off the recent history with him. So, um, yeah, it, it could be better. And, you know, we see it from time to time. Different defenses can give different quarterbacks a hard time. And they did a pretty good job on him making it a little – kind of muddying it up mm-hmm. for him. But – yeah, you know, clogging all those lanes and making it tough to yeah, see. It, Weather it, did not help in the first half, no, by the hard, way. Yeah, it's cold and wet and well, windy. It was it's, it's snowing sideways yeah, and sleeting. It's not, and not ideal for it anybody. It was tough. But 
I tell you what, though, if there's one thing Russell Wilson's consistently done really well in his career is when something's not going well, he fixes it. So, I, you know, I if I could bet on, you know, if there's a, a metric for how well he'll bounce back, I would bet pretty heavily on him doing it. Well, he's got the short week to work on it, which is sometimes easier to flush it. We've heard from Blair Walsh. He says it's easier to flush it. I talked to Blair in the locker room this week as well. We didn't need to belabor the point of the three missed field goals, no, but he, he seems like he's in a pretty good mental space and ready to go back out there and, and take care of it. I think the one big question mark for the offense before we take a look a little closer at this matchup is Eddie Lacy in that running game. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, given the short week, I'd be pretty surprised if we see Eddie Lacy. You know, Pete Carroll said they won't know until later in the week, but just given the nature of a, a soft tissue injury, injury like that on, you know, four days rest, it's probably unreasonable, unrealistic to think he'll be back. But, you know, it's unfortunate to lose him. They're trying to really get the running game going and let him carry it. But good news is Thomas Rawls ran pretty well. Even McKissick had a couple nice runs. They they averaged, I think, five yards of carry as a team at 148 yards, which was their second highest total of the season. So, you know, it, it I wouldn't say the run game is just all of a sudden fixed and great, but it was a heck of a lot better than what we saw the week before. And I think, you know, Dwayne Brown adding in there certainly helps. Sounds like we're going to see C.J. Procise probably this week. So if he can stay out there, that would that would be a nice element to add to their offense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're not – we talked about this even after the 33-yard rushing performance in season. They're not going to abandon this. It's important to Pete Carroll to be balanced to some degree. That doesn't mean you need to be dead even every game, but just he wants to be able to run the ball effectively when they need to call upon that. So uh, that was, you know, again, not great, but it was encouraging the step they took from – two weeks ago to last weekend. And it wasn't just Eddie Lacy that they lost to injury in that game. Fullback Trey Madden went on injured reserve with an Achilles injury suffered in that game. And I know that they don't use fullbacks for every carry, but at least he was another option. So if you can get C.J. Procise back this week, that should help and give you um, a, a, at least one more. You'd, you'd have three options potentially exactly. for running. Yeah, you, you really need that. You would, you would think the fact that they put him on IR without adding any sort of running back or fullback Bodes pretty well towards precise playing because I don't think you go into a game with two ball carriers. Right. Also easier when the conditions are controlled, you're playing inside. Again, it's not snowing sideways. That causes some problems for guys coming off of injuries. We will, in fact, be playing inside in the desert. Have you taken a look at the weather, by the way? It doesn't look too bad. It doesn't look too bad. High of 86, I believe, on Thursday, which I only found interesting because it was about 50 degrees higher than uh, what it was standing on the sidelines on Sunday. So I'll be pulling out some different gear to wear on the sidelines. But what can we expect from this matchup? Because... Playing in Arizona every year, it is it is the opposite of what I think is going to happen. No, I yeah, I've I've given up trying to figure out what's going to happen in games between these two teams because you know Arizona will come up to Seattle and pull out weird victories, and then they'll go play super low scoring games down there, or the you know the Seahawks have blown them out down there recently, and then they have a six six tie. So yeah, I I'm done predicting what will happen down there. <laughs> we can talk about some specific matchups that are interesting though, and I, I do think it's going to be really curious to see what what Arizona tries to do offensively. We know obviously mm-hmm. they're, they're minus their quarterback. Then they add a hall of fame running back. Who's had two of his three games down there have been really good since he was traded. Adrian Peterson was traded there. So, ah, but there's little footnotes and asterisks on those games. There are, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't call them asterisks, but I'm really curious to see how a, how they use him and B how he responds to that workload off a short rest, because he came in there from the trade from New Orleans, and unfortunately for him, he was pretty fresh because they weren't using him very much, and he had a huge game his first game. 
then the the week later he didn't have his he wasn't as effective. Then they get a bye, so he's fresh again, and he lights up San Francisco last week. So we'll we'll see what happens. But I do think the fact that it's you know he's 32 years old playing on a Thursday that might be tough for him. And more importantly, the Seahawks have been really good in their run defense ever since some of those early season miscues. You know we. We we talked about that being a problem for them. They gave up 100-yard rushers back-to-back games to Carlos Hyde and DeMarco Murray. Even those were both kind of unusual because both of those guys got most of their yardage on one play. Since then, the most a running back has gained from the, against them was Lamar Miller of the Houston Texans. He had 54 yards on 21 carries. So That's a lot of they, carries yeah, to get 54 yards. Yeah, they yards. shut down Todd Gurley. Uh, they shut down the Giants, who were really trying to run the ball because they were beat up at receiver. Yeah. I mean, the the teams that have come out and tried to run the ball, they've shut down. So I, I like the Seahawks' defense chances. And you know, if you're facing a team with a backup quarterback, if you can stop the run, that that usually goes a long ways. It's not to say that the ball isn't going to go Larry Fitzgerald's way because he has recorded at least one catch in 203 straight games. That's impressive, but he's still got a ways to go to reach Jerry Rice, who is the best in NFL history when it comes to that 274 games. Tony Gonzalez ahead of Larry Fitzgerald with 211. Also, we're keeping track of his yardage because he is 47 yards away from 15,000. In his Hall he of Fame pretty career. Good. He's pretty yeah. good. He's still, I mean, he, he was a guy a few years ago. People wondered if he was on his way out. Michael Floyd was going to be their new number one. And Eric Fitzgerald is just still getting it done. Kind of, kind of the ageless wonder over there. He certainly is. It'll make for an interesting matchup. At the very least, at a couple of those spots. And the Seahawks will get a chance to get back on track and get back to their winning ways this week against Arizona. John Boyle's got you covered. All of your game day previews on Seahawks.com and I'll be on the broadcast on the sidelines of the Seahawks Radio Network. We'll see you next week.